On the block, on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They're looking at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, usually, but not today. They've got baseball coverage on today, so uh, sorry, uh, no Utica today, but uh, usually you can hear us on ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome. You can still listen digitally. You can still listen wherever you go, whatever you do, via the ESPN app. Oh, baby, get the app, download it, hit the Listen tab, find ESPN Syracuse, and then off you go, whatever you do. However you do it, wherever you do it, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. You can take us with you wherever you go. Here's how you get in touch with the show today. Would love to hear the hot takes. 437-7644. That's hot. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. All great ways to get in touch with the program. We have two guests that will join us today. Two guests that uh, join us regularly, two guests we're always excited to talk about and a lot to discuss with both of these gentlemen right here in this hour. The one, the only, J.J. John Jastrzemski, WFAN in New York, CBS Sports Radio, and now the Mike Francesa app. Oh, don't you know it? Yankees, A's, one game to determine it all. Something we'll talk about with J.J. I'll get into with Seth later in the show. I certainly have thoughts from a uh, Red Sox perspective, how I feel about that series. One game. Oh, I'm going to channel Herb Brooks now. One game. You know, we play this game ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. I better stop because I'll just do the whole speech. But I love the Wild. I love it. I think it's a great idea. I think what baseball can do to stand out, to create this drama. And yes, the, the Yankees won 100 games and now have to win one more just to get into a quote-unquote legit playoff series, a longer playoff series. But who doesn't love that you're basically starting the postseason with a couple game sevens? The Cubs aren't loving that because they lost two of them at home, but that's the beauty of it. Now, Grandpa didn't stay up for that Cubs-Rockies game last night. I I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I made it to, like, uh, just before extras. Grandpa had a busy day today, so I I had to get some shut-eye. But uh, certainly, we'll stay up for Yankees-A's no matter how far that goes. And, of course, when the Red Sox start playing, you know, game on. 
And that can be the beauty of postseason baseball. And I brought it up on yesterday's show. Like, don't give me what's wrong with the game and all these things about baseball that are wrong and all the strikeouts and all that. You know, I have put a moratorium on that. I cannot talk about this until the offseason. Let me enjoy the postseason. Let me enjoy baseball. I don't want to hear what's wrong with baseball. I don't want to hear about all the strikeouts. I don't want to hear about how many less balls are in play versus 10 years ago. And Jason Stark and Seth Everett and the people that cover this stuff do a fine job pointing it out. It's not to say we always have to have our head in the sand about this. But you know what I want to talk about when it's October and it's the postseason? Postseason baseball. That's what we want to discuss. So we will do that with J.J., Yankees, and A's. Later in the show, top of the 5 o'clock hour, he joins us every Wednesday, Julian Wiggum. Of course, you hear on these airwaves, you hear on the Syracuse IMG Sports Network. It's part of the Syracuse Football Radio Network. And his Twitter feed is just a gem for football fans that want to get a great perspective from someone who played the game, sees the game differently than we do, maybe sees the game a little better than we do, and he will share some of those insights. And I'm sure whatever music bump we come back with, he will not know what it is. So that's all to come. Hot takes as usual, and a few other things we'll do uh, throughout the afternoon here. A little side note here before we begin. Today is October 3rd. That is the 12th anniversary of the birth of my child. So we'd like to say happy birthday to Sophie today, who, as I mentioned, is 12, which means next year she'll be 13. There's a teen in that word. So pray for Brent. Please, please pray for Brent. And, and pray for Kristen, for that matter, and everybody in the Axe family, even the dog, even the cat. So just kidding, honey. You know we love you. Happy birthday to my little daughter, who's not so little anymore. She's 12, and that is insane. But uh, always uh, proud of her and certainly can't believe she's that old. Just I remember the day she was born like it was yesterday. I really do. So happy birthday, sweetie. There you go. Ah, dad moment to start the show. Okay. I'm kind of wondering about Syracuse and Pittsburgh in this sense. I don't think anything's going to go wrong here. I don't think this is a trap game. I don't think this is a loose focus game. I don't think this is a lot of the, it's almost like you find ways something's going to go wrong. here. Well, you know, they might not take him seriously. Well, you know, this is just a straight up matchup that Syracuse absolutely should win. And football is football. Injuries happen and all those things you have to bake into any normal football conversation. I was looking last night, and I'm saying to myself, is there anything about Syracuse, Pittsburgh, and the fact that they have not won in that city since 2001? Let me put this in perspective for you, okay? The last time that Syracuse won a game at Pitt was October 13th, 2001. It was that time of the year where, on that date, Alicia Keys' song, Fallen. I'm falling in and out of love with you. That was the number one song in the country, which that is insane that that's when that song came out. Doesn't it feel like that song came out like six years ago? No, it was 2001. 2001! The number one movie which, again, was a lot older than I thought it was, but then when you really kind of settle it in and like, oh, yeah, that's when that came out. 
the number one movie in the country, the top grossing movie at the box office for, I believe, a few weeks straight, including the weekend Syracuse last beat Pittsburgh, was Training Day. Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke, one of the great rewatchable movies out there. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Jake, Jake, Jakey, Jake. Do you know who the quarterbacks were? Don't look it up. Don't Google it. Just see if you can get this. And I'll, I'll even sort of kind of nudge you and give you a hint here. You know who the quarterbacks were in that game for Syracuse? Don't, don't Google it. I see. Put the phone down. I see you. Put it down. Use your brain. Do you know who the quarterbacks were in that game? This is how long ago this was. Certainly not as long ago as other things like, you know, had Syracuse had not beaten Florida State since, you know, what, 1966 or something. Yes, Seth, you got it. So when I reveal this here momentarily, you were right. This allows me to go back in the archives and do an impression that I used to do all the time and we do when it's appropriate, not just to do it just for the sake of laughs. It's like when you see your favorite comedian in the street and they you ask him to do that joke that they're known for. I mean, they have other material, but you're kind of known for something. So it allows me the opportunity to kick it old school for a moment here. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, Robin is, uh, you know, he's playing pretty well, but uh, we like what Troy's doing. You know, Troy's a competitor and uh, he's going out there. He's making some good throws. And he's, he's reading the defense. You know, Robin is certainly uh, very mobile and very multiple in what he does. Uh, but we're going to go with both, and uh, we're going to see who wins the job. Yes, RJ, but Coach P called him Robin Anderson, and Troy Noons played in that game. On October 13, 2001, Troy Noons was not a website. Troy Noons was a football player. He was a person before he became a magician in a great blog. He was merely Troy Noons, quarterback of the Syracuse Football Orange. That's who quarterback this team the last time they won at Pitt. That's incredible. Now, I went through the games, and I went through the dates, and I went through the box scores, and really the – the look, there were some good Pitt teams on that run. So 2001 is when the Pasqualone era was coming to a screeching halt – Pitt was starting to get some better players, and they were really starting to uptick in a lot of ways, and there was a real strong run there of NFL players. You look at the history of Pittsburgh and the NFL, they don't always come up right away, but they really should. Tony Dorsett, Dan Marino, Larry Fitzgerald, you look at even now Aaron Donald recently. I know I'm forgetting a few names. Those are just right off the top of my head. But Pitt was good. Pitt had it on Syracuse in that run. So that's one reason, and there were certainly some close games in that stretch, but there is one common denominator, and that is a lot of those games were late in the year. A lot of those games were late in the year when your season had been decided. You were going to a bowl game, you weren't going to a bowl game. You were going into a lot of these games with not a lot to play for in the sense of trying to achieve something. It was just kind of getting through the season. The turf. At Heinz Field, often that late in the year is awful because, of course, both the Steelers and Pittsburgh play there. And you got a Syracuse football team that is going in bad weather, cold weather, bad turf, 
certainly not 100% healthy in a lot of those games. Now, two years ago, of course, was the insane 76-61 Nathan Peterman special, the last you know, competitive, like, actual real football game that Nathan Peterman played in against Syracuse. Zach Mahoney was the quarterback of that game, as we remember. It was Dino's first year, and still, like, they got to do a third. Maybe I'll do this. I say they. Like, maybe I'll take on this project. Like, I think that deserves its own 30-for-30 type, like, mini-documentary. And all the jokes about, well, isn't that a basketball score between Syracuse and Pitt? But, yeah, it really kind of was. So there was that game, which Syracuse certainly should have won. I mean, you score 61 points in a football game. Nine out of ten times, I'm going to say, oh, well, boy, you won big, didn't you? Well, not that day. So that kind of fluke aside, the common denominator has been that they go there late in the year. Well, this is the earliest that Syracuse will visit Pittsburgh come Saturday since 2005, and they still lost that game, but they visited Pittsburgh, I want to say it was right around this week or next week. It's this almost dead to the date that Syracuse will play on Saturday. I believe it was October 5th. I could be off a couple days there, but it was early October, the last time they got to Pitt this early. So does that have anything to do with it? I don't know. I know that the field conditions will be better. I know this team is healthier than they usually are when they go to Pitt. They've got the upper hand on Pitt. They're a near top 25 team. They've got a lot more to play for now than other times they've gone to Pittsburgh when spirits were a little different. Dino has made it abundantly clear, and we will talk to Coach Babers on the show tomorrow as we do every Thursday, presented by Empower Federal Credit Union. Thanks, Brent. You, Coach. He has made it clear. We played the clips earlier in the week about locked in, focus, turn the page. I will talk to you about Clemson today. This was on Monday. But after that, I'm respectfully asking you to just kind of drop it because we need to hone in on Pitt, right? This is a different team that's playing different, that's in a different mindset, that has the upper hand. Now, Pitt the past few years has pulled an upset on someone. Pitt has won up a lot. Pitt has gone into a number of games where you just probably didn't even think about them. They beat Clemson. They pulled off some upsets. Pitt is the proverbial kind of whatever cliche you want to use of some animal in a corner that knows it it has to fight its way out. Pitt also has a defense that's rebuilding. They're always tough. They're always physical. But, you know, Pat Narduzzi got kind of caught in between. Kenny Pickett, I think, will be a good quarterback but has to find his way through. They're going to try and run the football as they always do. And Quadre Olison's still there, and they still have a decent running game. They have the worst special teams in college football, and that's not my opinion. That's statistically the worst special teams in college football, and Syracuse has the best. And again, that's not my opinion. They're literally number one. Everything favors Syracuse in this game. So having said all that, the answer a lot of people had is, yeah, but what could go wrong? (laughs) I guess we're trained to wait for the other shoe to drop here, but I am not expecting that this week. I think this is a go, take care of business. I mean, my official score I'm working with is probably like 41 to 20. Pitt has kept it close in a couple games. They've given up a lot of points, but there's a couple of shootouts they got into as well. That's the thing about Pitt. I heard Eric Dungy mention this. We'll talk to Dino about it tomorrow. They are a bit unpredictable. Just when you think you're getting a certain team, 
a different one shows up. So I think they've got to account for that. But I really think that, you know, football's football, weird things happen. But I don't think Syracuse has a lot to worry about in this game. And the fact that they're going there earlier than usual can only help them. And then they go into, if you are in charge of your bye week, if you could actually sit there and say, when do I get it? It is this week. It is after this game. It is at the midway point of the season, the ideal bye week. How strong the Orange go into that is what we'll be keeping an eye on. All right, J.J.'s going to join us coming up. We'll talk some Yankees and A's one-game playoff tonight. Right now, we're going to get some diamonds and dogs. Our buddy Lee Baldwin is back with us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Lee, happy Wednesday, my friend. How are you? Happy Wednesday. How are you, friend? I'm great, Big birthday today, I heard. Yeah, absolutely. Twelve. Wow. That's just, oh boy, because that's one year from the dreaded teen word. So (laughs) pray for Brent. It goes fast. Well, uh, we didn't have to pray for the markets today. Uh, we're still climbing and creeping higher. The Dow is still good. at all-time highs, so Very that's good. good. Our, our diamond today is uh, Temper Sealy, the mattress maker. The stock was up over 11% after news that their prime competitor is going bankrupt. So who needs competition? <laughs> our, our dog is Acuity Brands, the lighting company. Uh, that was They were down 20% because of higher costs tariffs, and everything else uh, when they reported earnings. And that's about it. Keep your eye on interest rates, though. They're at a new multi-year high today, just creeping up. I will let you do that for me, and then you can tell me about (laughs) it. How about that? You got it. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. LeeBaldwin.com. They've got offices in Casanova and Utica. Stop in or log on and help that portfolio grow. You might say that that stock dimmed a bit today, right? No, we're not. We're not. You're not going to give me that one. Okay, I don't blame you. That was pretty bad. Let's break on that note. John Jastrzemski, WFAN in New York, Yankees A's tonight, one game playoff. Does Louis Severino have the juice? Maybe quite literally. We'll talk about it next. This is on the block with Brent Axe. Oh, I need a little Jimmy in my life today. James, where you been, buddy? Jimmy Hendrix wrote a great song called Fire Once. So let's bring the fire in these takes, shall we? Hit me with that fancy. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. So the managers are already dropping like flies in baseball. We know that Mike Sosha stepped down with Anaheim, and not a surprise here, but a guy that, you know, uh, place your bets whether you think uh, Buck Showalter will be managing in baseball next year because he will be. This just goes to prove that uh, there are certain really brilliant baseball minds that can't save a bad team. Buck Showalter is a brilliant baseball manager and won 81 games in five straight seasons with the Orioles. He got the Orioles to the playoffs three times, including that team was in the ALCS four years ago. Wasn't that long ago. Baltimore was in the mix in this division 
but obviously things have gone a bit south since then. Last year they were 75 and 87. This year, 47 wins. 47 and 115. They were only five losses away from that infamous, pardon me, 62 Mets team that lost 120 games. So that eight, we mentioned the Angels' job is open, the Reds' job. I mean, there's always four or five jobs at least, maybe a few more, that will be open. And my bet is Buck Showalter will at least have the opportunity to grab one of those should he want it. Or he'll go back to TV for a year or two, come back to baseball. But Showalter is just one of those baseball lifers, right? And I say that like he's Earl Weaver or something, like he's been around as far back as you can remember. you got to remember, Buck Showalter was a pretty—I'd have to— Seth, you're a Yankees fan. You can maybe you've been correcting me all day, by the way. So maybe you can Google this while I'm yakking about it here. How old was Showalter when he took over the Yankees? And by the way, made was it was it one episode of Seinfeld? I think it was only one episode of Seinfeld. But he wasn't that. He was pretty young at that point. That was a '95 when he took over the Yankees, but. He's just one of those guys. He's just one of those baseball lifers, been around. You'll see him somewhere. He will be involved in the game unless he wants to retire and says, that's it for me. I'll go count my money somewhere. But typically these baseball guys love the baseball life. He was 36. In I 19, knew he was a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I heard somebody mentioning that the other day. You know who it was? It was him. I was listening to the Yankee broadcast, and Susan Waldman brought it up with him. When the Yankees played the Orioles the other day, he was 36 when he took over the Yankees. So that was 95. So he's, can Brent do math? 59 now. I mean, look, 59, you've been around, you've had a successful career, you've made a lot of money. If I'm him, see ya. But look, baseball people like baseball, they like the rhythm of baseball, they like. 162 games. It starts in February and you're in spring training and you go through a season and you're doing something every day, right? It's like, it's it. my, my father-in-law just retired and it's like the old joke, like, well, what are you going to do now? You're, you're retired, right? Well, some people fear that. Some people like need an office to go to a job to do. They need the routine of it. They need that life. Baseball people are like that. So my guess is Showalter is going to be either in a dugout or in front of a camera next year. He took over in 1992, so he's even older than you think. That's incredible. He got fired in 95. So he was 36. So he's 62 now. Oh, wait. So when he, he got wait, wait. fired was in he 36, 95. Uh, was he 36 when he got fired? Hired. Okay, so he was 36 in 92. Yeah. When he, Okay. Still, though, he's only 39 he's, you know, years he's, old when he got fired. He's only yeah. 63 then. Right. He's 62. 62. Yeah. There you go. Dusty Baker was, what, 88 when he managed the Nationals Probably. last year? You Connie know? Mack was like 100-something exactly. in the 50s. Yeah. Exactly. Connie Mack was around for like the Civil War and then Base- managed until exactly. the 50s. Baseball lifers, man. That's that's what they want to do, baseball. So I think Buck's going to be around. But point being, that's hot. I don't care who you are. There's just some teams that you cannot salvage, and obviously the Baltimore Orioles have done that. And I brought this up on the show the other day. For all the Yankees... 100 wins. Red Sox, 108 wins. The team, the Houston Astros won 100 games this year. There's a lot of teams that lost 100 games or close to it this year. There is, I know, I promise, no talking about baseball's problems during the postseason, but it is noteworthy that the gap between the haves and the have-nots 
is getting wider in baseball. Just one of those uh, for what it's worth things. Uh, I didn't bring this up earlier with the A's. You don't really associate baseball and gambling, right? Like even in the postseason, it's not something that really comes up in conversation a lot, but this is pretty interesting. So the A's, as they get ready for this one-game playoff with the Yankees tonight that you will hear over on Brostat TK99, the A's were 500 in mid-June, 250-1 to long shots to win the World Series. This is in June now, not April, June. So people started putting a slew of $5 and $10 bets on these. That's smart. You give me 251 odds, I put 10 bucks on that. Why not take a shot at it? So then Oakland gets hot. They're in the postseason. They won 97 games. They're one of those teams you could see if they win this game tonight. I've mentioned as a Red Sox fan, I, I want nothing to do with that team. I I don't I wouldn't pick the A's to beat the Red Sox, but would I be, you know, would I faint with surprise if it happened? Not at all. So think of these people that put these five and ten dollar bets at two hundred and fifty one odds. Vegas would get crushed if Oakland won the World Series. When do you usually hear about Vegas getting crushed? It's usually football or March Madness. Rarely do you hear about an upstart team in baseball that crushes Vegas. So I'm almost kind of rooting. That's hot. Who roots for the house, right? So uh, well played if you are one of those people in the slew. That's a fun word. That did the five and ten dollar bets. I know what Fortnite is. I have no desire to play Fortnite. I'm glad my now 12-year-old is not into this stuff yet. Maybe she'll get into it at some point. I think it's more for I think more boys are into it. It's kind of a guy thing, but you know, certainly females play it too. Um, don't get me wrong, but so Fortnite has worked its way into not only is it a popular culture thing, but we've heard about this in sports, right? Like there was rumors that David Price had <laughs> You know, uh, carpal tunnel from as a result of playing video games, which as we turned out was Fortnite. You hear about a lot of athletes that are obsessed with Fortnite. There's a lot of SU athletes that talk about it all the time. And has like Fortnite played out now? Have they moved on to something else? I can't keep up with you crazy kids and your apps and, you know, your CD players and all this newfangled technology, right? What's a touchtone phone? I have no idea what you're talking about. So I don't even know if Fortnite has like, is that has that jumped the shark now? Is that still a phrase people use? I don't know, but here's what I know. Vancouver Canucks forward Bo Harvrat said the team has instituted a Fortnite ban for the upcoming season. Uh Jets star Patrick Lane says he plays and enjoys Fortnite and that the ban is a scapegoat. Quote, I think they just needed something to blame after last year. And we kind of made a deal that if we're playing like that, we can give up our PlayStations so we're not going to take them on the road. But I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, asked about Lane's comments, by the way, a Canucks forward, Jake Veritanen, said, quote, whatever, I don't really care what he says. That's something you got to keep in mind, though. Athletes train hard. They have routines. They stay in shape. A hockey player pretty much like you get up, you go to practice, right? There's a morning skate. Not all teams do morning skates, but a lot of them do. And then you got a lot of downtime on your hands. So there's a nap, there's hanging out, but and you're traveling a lot. 
It's a lot of downtime as a professional athlete. What do you do with your downtime? You get on your phone. There's only so much Facebooking and Twittering and Snapchatting and all that stuff. Fortnite is, the reason Fortnite is so popular is it's popular with a lot of people that not necessarily have a lot of free time, but when they do have it, like they go hard at their jobs or you're a student, right? Why is it so popular with college kids? Because college kids are doing one extreme or the other. Either they're busting their ass trying to finish some 12-page paper for Professor Professor Axe's class. Not that I would ever give my kids a 12-page paper. That's, come on. Either they're going at it hard, they're actually literally partying, or you're just sitting around doing nothing. You're looking for something to do. That's why Fortnite is popular with college kids, with athletes, with, I mean, high school kids to an extent, even 12, 13, 14-year-olds, as busy as they are. My daughter, I don't know how she does everything she does. but So you do what you do. You go to school. You get your homework done. You, you go to practice, and then you want to play Fortnite. And it's addicting. Look, I, I'm a Nintendo kid generation, and as much as I love Tecmo Bowl and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and NBA Jam, and I just I would play it for like an hour and a half. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm sure there was a few all-night sessions that we did like in college because, like I said, you just sometimes in college, you're like, oh, dude, we've been doing this for nine hours. Oh, how about that? Like you lose track of time. So the fact that athletes, professional athletes, are so obsessed with this, I get it. And the other thing is it's competitive. Again, I have limited knowledge of Fortnite, but I know like you can team up with people and you've got to take out other crews. And see, this I don't know about you, but it's just a different mindset. The the thought of like, so I can log on to my PlayStation tonight. And I can put on a headset and I can play with anybody in the world. Like that's intriguing. It's fascinating. It also creeps me out. Like there's some guy in who knows where. And we're like teaming up to play Fortnite. Like I that creeps me out, man. I don't know how you guys do that. It's more normal in the younger generation. But like when I played video games, I just wanted to play. Vid- like you'd have a buddy over. Right. Or you wanted to like I wanted to actually play with people that I knew. But again, it's just a different generation. It's just a different thing. The Internet has connected us all in that way. So look out for more Fortnite bands. That's hot in the world of professional sports. We'll have to ask uh, Ben Grew, the head coach of the Crunch, which I think we'll be talking to Ben here before the season starts on Saturday, certainly before the home opener next Saturday, which can I say this, by the way, on that note? I have a video about this coming out on Syracuse.com next week, so plug there. But I was at the War Memorial the other day and got a little behind-the-scenes tour of, of the renovations. Some of it, you don't need a behind-the-scenes tour. It's right out there, and you can see it, like the new scoreboard. The game experience at the Crunch this year, it's a game-changer. That scoreboard is unbelievable. If you get the opportunity to sit in one of the new suites... It is the best view in minor league hockey. I would view it's one of the best views in all of professional hockey. The changes that they have made in that building, and by the way, a relatively short period of time, we're talking like 70 days, breathtaking. They killed it over there. And we've still got 10 days till they, they drop the puck at home. They start their season this weekend, but 
Crunch games were already fun. They already made the most of what that building was. Wait till you see what they've done to that place. It's awesome. It's going to be one of the best experiences in minor league hockey. And, you know, Utica's done a great job kind of renovating what they had at the, you know, now the Adirondack Bank Center. It used to be called the Utica Memorial Auditorium. We finally got our turn here in Syracuse, and it not only looks great, but I think the game experience is going to be just something on a completely different level this year. And I think the Crunch are going to be pretty good again, too, so there's always that. All right, let's break. We've got Julian Wiggum coming in, top of the hour, talking Syracuse football. Yankees and A's coming up tonight. So much to do, so little time. We'll do it next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Thank you. Bye-bye.